Well, good morning. Welcome to hurricane season. I bet you didn't think about that when you woke up this morning, did you? It's amazing. Overnight, prices of plywood at Home Depot tripled. It's crazy how that works. Anyway, no, we're glad that you're here this morning on this June 1st, and um, it's my privilege to be able to, um, to, to launch us into our last week of Transformed as we look at the reality that Easter changes everything. And over the course of the last several weeks, we've looked at the fact that the resurrection of Christ causes us and drives us and allows us to think differently. We no longer have to look at the world for our pattern, but we can look to Christ and we can look to His Word to know how we're supposed to live and how we're supposed to carry ourselves and how that translates in every area of our life. We've looked at that in the context of spiritual things and physical things. We looked at it as it relates to emotional, relational, mental things. Um, Last week, we looked at the, the fact that that should change the way we look at finances and being stewards of all that God's given us. And this week, we're going to continue our series in, in the area of Transformed as we look at, surprisingly enough, or, or interestingly enough, how we approach our job. And not just our job, like what we do on a daily basis, but how we approach the dream that God has given us. And as we've done this, we've tried to do four different things in the process. We've tried to see the issue or see the problem, and then we've tried to actually own it and make it ours and say, you know what, I admit to that and I'm going to own it. And then we come up with a solution as we solve it. But none of that is any good if we don't implement it, actually do something with it. And so as we've tried to do those four things and looking at all these different areas of our lives, today we're going to look at the dream that God has put in your heart. Now, you may be here today and you say, you know what, I've already had my career, I'm retired. Let me just, let me just challenge you with this, is, is God's not done using you. He still has a dream for you. You may be here today and say, well, I'm just starting out my career, I don't even know what it's supposed to look like. That's okay, because it's, it, it's going to be different. It changes, and even in the context of, of, of different seasons of life, it's different. I think of my father, who, when he graduated from high school, he went into the Navy, And he served two years in the Navy, and when he got out of the Navy, he went to work in the mail room at a small company in the town in the city of Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm not real happy about the heat thing, but that's okay. I can get over that. But he started in the mail room, and shortly after that, he got a promotion, and he became secretary to the the president of the company. And from there, he became a a, a salesman and uh, was on the road for a while. And then after that, he went back into the plant and was a plant manager, and then eventually in charge of the shipping department. And then he was in charge of all of production, and eventually became almost like a vice president and was able to sit on the board of directors. And he worked there for 39 years, got his gold watch, and retired and went home. Some of your careers may look like that, but I would venture to say that most of them aren't going to be like that. In the exact same home, I think of my mother's career. She started as a high school teacher, and then she moved into her second career as a full-time stay-at-home mom, and then she went into her third career as she went back to teaching and became a university professor. After that, she retired again and became a, started a fourth career working at, in, in business offices at different churches, and then from that, changed careers a fifth time and is now working in the secular world again, doing accounts payable and different things for a large conglomerate. And so you can see that your career may change and there may be different seasons for what you do vocationally, but there's always a dream that God has for your life. And that dream may even change from time to time. But what is the dream that God has for you? Do you still have a dream? Do you have a dream that maybe you've just given up on? Or what is the dream that God has for you and are you pursuing that dream? I think of me and my life and the dreams that I had. When I was a kid, 
and, and I, I'm not necessarily proud of this, but it's, it, it's a little odd. I, I, I confess that. When I was a kid, I, I didn't dream about being a firefighter or a policeman. I didn't dream about being an astronaut. But anybody here ever seen the movie The Godfather? You've seen the movie The Godfather? Okay. My dream as a kid was to be Tom. You know who Tom was? The conciliarly, or however you say that thing, I don't know, the, 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 yeah, whatever. Anyway, the counselor, you know, the Robert Duvall's character. He, he really wasn't in the illegal activity. He had a pretty good idea of what was going on, but his job was to give counsel and advice to the godfather. I thought, man, that's the job I want to have when I'm an adult. <laughs> I don't know why. I know it's strange, but that's what I wanted to do. Anyway, that changed, and as I got into school and got into a junior achievement program, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I wanted to be an accountant. Then I got to college, and I took my first accounting class, and I knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt, I did not want to be an accountant. <laughs> Just wasn't for me. As I started to go through college and started to, to, to grow and develop and be involved in a lot of different things, my new dream was to be involved in sports management. And I wanted to be the athletic director of a major Division I sports um, athletic department. I wanted to be the athletic director. You know, I thought it'd be cool to sit in the skybox and watch, you know, games and do different things. My, my alternative, if that didn't work out, was I wanted to own a minor league baseball team. I mean, I, it's just weird. But these are the dreams that I had. Well, then God decided to, to put something different in my heart when I was a senior in college and called me into ministry and began to move me in that direction. And even in the core context of my career in ministry over the last 17 years, it's changed and it's ebbed and it's flowed and there's been different seasons. But there's always something that God has in our hearts and our minds that's the dream he has for us. And today I want to talk about that dream, and I want to talk about how we can accomplish those dreams. You see, dreams are extremely powerful in our lives. Everything we have is the result of a dream. It all starts out as one person's idea, one person's image. You think of the greatest pieces of art of all time. Somebody had that in their mind before they painted it. You think of the most you know, Freedom Tower in New York City. You think of great pieces of architecture. Somebody was able to dream that up and draw it out before the ground was ever broken. Think about different businesses and different business models. Somebody was able to come up with those things in their head and had a mental image. Or you think of technology and the fact that somebody thought, you know what, we, we could create a computer. And then someone decided that we could create a computer that would actually fit in a single room. And then somebody else had the dream of actually putting a computer on somebody's desk. Then somebody else had a dream of putting a computer on every desk in America. Then someone else had a dream of putting a computer on a phone. And then somebody else is probably sitting there figuring out how to put that exact same computer underneath your skin and your brain. You watch. You watch. It's going to happen. I'm going to trademark that today. Anyway. But every idea starts as a dream. They're able to visualize it. And they pursue it. But sometimes in our own lives, we get derailed, we get sidetracked, we choose not to pursue those dreams. Maybe we look at the obstacles and the challenges and we just decide we can't do it. But dreams are critical to driving us forward. So as we kind of get launched into this, my question to you is, what dream does God have for you? What dream has God given you that maybe you're in the middle of and you're living it and you're like, man, this is right in my flow and I love this and this is great. Or maybe you're sitting there going, you know what, I miss that dream. I still have it, and I hope one day maybe I'll have enough time to do it, but I've missed that. A long time ago, a prophet named Samuel wrote about a young man named David. 
And he talked about a dream that he had in his life, but he talked about how David wasn't able to pursue that dream because of different obstacles in his life. And this morning, we're going to take a story from David's life and see how that can apply to, to our pursuit of the dream that God has for us in our careers and in our lives as we seek to work and transform the way we think about our work. If you have a Bible or an electronic device, I want to invite you to turn to the Old Testament, and we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17 to be exact. And 1 Samuel 17 has what a lot of people would often call the greatest underdog story of all time. It tells the story of David versus Goliath. And that's a phrase we still use today. I think it's kind of ironic that in a society that absolutely rejects the scriptures and absolutely rejects the truth of the Bible, how many times do you hear in business, how many times do you hear in politics, overused in sports, you have your David versus Goliath. Really? How are you going to use that as an illustration if you don't even believe that story ever happened? But we talk about a David versus Goliath type of story where you have this diminutive, small, little, puny kid who's a teenager, barely not even yet a man, and, and, and David, and he's the underdog. And then on the other side, you have this massive giant that represents everything mean and everything bad, and, and he's equipped, and he's an expert, and he's ready for war. His name is Goliath. And Samuel records a story of how David and Goliath met each other and what happened as a result. If you've ever been to church, you've probably heard this story. But today, in a little bit, we're going to kind of turn it on its head and transform the way we look at it and think about it as we consider the story of David versus Goliath. You see, David was out in the fields and taking care of the sheep, and his, his dad's name is Jesse, and Jesse said, look, Dave, um, you know, your brothers have been at war for a while. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, they, they're, they're kind of want to know what's going on at home. I definitely want to know what's going on on the battlefront. So here's some peanut butter sandwiches. Why don't you go take these to them and, and chill out with them for a little bit and then get a, get a scoop. So David takes lunch and he goes and he meets with his brothers. And while he's there, he's sitting there talking to them, wanting to know, hey, what's going on? What's this? What's that? Oh, everything's okay. In the middle of the day, all of a sudden there's this loud, booming voice and as they, 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 they come down, they look across, and across the way is the army of the Philistines. And this group of the Philistines has come out of the sea and has come to, to attack Israel as they march on the middle of the land. And Israel has come to this side of the valley, and they're at the top of the mountain, and they're looking. And in between is this valley, and down in the middle of this valley, this huge booming voice comes out. And he basically says, you know, I triple dog dare you to send somebody down here. It's kind of like this massive game of Red Rover, Red Rover, send someone right over. And what they're going to do is that Goliath has gone down into the valley, and he's like, bring on your best warrior, and I'm going to fight him. You see, back then, it wasn't that unusual for, for armies to, to decide how to fight based on one-on-one, mano-a-mano combat. They were going to get in the ring, they can do this octagon thing, and, and fight to the death. And whoever won then the other group would just have to surrender and become slaves. And so every day, for 40 days, this huge booming voice would come down and say, who's going to come and fight me? I am Goliath, the great champion of the Philistines. Does anybody over there dare to come and challenge me? Well, David's there, and he hears this, and he's like, yo, bro, you need to go down there. And his brother's like, what are you talking about? I got KP duty. It's not my turn. And he goes over, he goes, well, what about you? He goes to his other brother. You know, he's kind of like, well, are you going to go? No, I'm not going to go down there. Are you crazy? I, I mean, I may look dumb, but I'm not really that dumb. So David starts wanting to know, how come nobody's going down and challenging? Nobody really has a good answer other than the fact that 
have you seen this guy? The guy's massive. He's huge. He's a giant. Right? It's Goliath. Have you not heard of him? So David goes, all right, I'll go. Right. Yeah, David, whatever. You know, little brother. I'm a little brother, so I know what that's like. You know, hey, just be quiet. Go back there. You know, play with your G.I. Joes and leave me alone. I have issues. So anyway, um, and, it, and, and, and he gets to the place where, where he's like, no, I'm going to go. And they're like, no, you can't. And he goes, I don't care what you say. I'm going to go. So he goes and he talks to the king. And the king's name is Saul. And he's just talking to Saul. He goes, look, I'm going to go fight. And Saul says, you can't. You're too little. You're too young. This guy's inexperienced. He goes, I've been against lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And all these different things. And he says, I know what it's going to take. And I'm, it, it's going to be okay. I'm not worried about it. And Saul says, well, here, at least put on my armor. Fine, I'll send you down there. So he puts the armor on, and he starts moving around. It's like, you know, you know when, you're, when your little kid puts on your jacket or your shirt or whatever, and they're just like swimming in it, and it's hanging and dangling off. He can't hardly move it, and he can't do anything. He's like, I don't need any of this. So he decides to pick up his sling, and he stops in, uh, on his way, and he picks up five smooth stones. And he goes down there, and he begins to work his sling, and he fires off a rock. And it launches, Goliath, it launches and hits Goliath in the head, and Goliath falls. David goes down and takes Goliath's sword and separates his head from his body. And the Philistines take off in fear because they're like, oh my goodness, we never expected this to happen. And the Israelites chase after him. And that's the story of David versus Goliath. The underdog wins. But today I want to change our thinking as we look at it. And I want to make two observations that we look at when we consider the story of David versus Goliath. The first observation is this. David was not the underdog. David was not the underdog. A lot of times we think, oh, this diminutive guy, this little guy, he can never overcome the big guy. It's, it's impossible. There's no way it could ever happen. David's the underdog. But the reality is he's not. And the first reason we're going to say that David was not the underdog is because he had superior technology. Superior technology. Now, I have in my hand a replica, and this is from the Holy Land. A friend of mine um, brought it back to me one time. This is a replica of what a sling may have looked like and probably did look like. The only difference is this would have been out of leather instead of out of, out of rope and yarn. But this is the little pocket that, that would be in the center of the sling. And then they would have strips along the length. And there'd be different lengths based on your accuracy and what you were able to do. But then you would get in the process of generating a high amount of speed. You'd release one edge, and then it would fling the rock as it went. Now, understand this, that David <coughs> was experienced and knew how to use this as a shepherd. Studies have been done with people in modern day and video recording and different things to, to actually try this technology and to see what would have happened. Did you know that you can get one of those rocks going about 80 miles an hour? 80 miles an hour. We aren't talking about a little pea shooter on top of a roof firing at old ladies when they walk by the house. I mean, this is, this is real stuff. 80 miles an hour. That means the, the, the width of this theater is almost about, it's about 56 feet. So from 100 feet, which would be twice as wide as this theater. Now put that in context. So here, I'm over here, and this is about 50. You go to that side over there and then double it. I can fire a rock from here, twice the width of this theater at 80 miles an hour, and it would hit my target 100 feet away in less than a second. Less than one second is how fast it would be going. The artillery during that time used to practice on moving targets from 200 yards away. That's two football fields length, moving targets. Deadly accurate at that speed. 
rock. This is a smaller version, but this indeed is a smooth stone from the valley of Elah. Broughten, brought, broughten, broughten, broughten. Is that a word, broughten? Broughten back to me by the same guy that brought me the sling. Broughten back. I don't even know. Anyway, so a stone a little bit larger than this at that speed at 80 miles an hour because of its density would have the same stopping requirements as a 45 caliber gun that means David's basically shooting a 45 from 100 feet away, and he's deadly accurate. So you got a guy who's got a spear and a shield versus a guy who's firing a gun. Yeah, he's got superior technology. The second thing that kind of makes David not the underdog is that he changed the attack. He changed the attack. The plan of attack for Goliath was you come down here, we'll get in a ring, and we'll go hand-to-hand combat. David was like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. No thanks. You know, Goliath's strength was in proximity. If I could get you within my reach, again, you talk about the big brother, little brother thing. You ever have that brother that always put his hand on your head and you're just like going like this trying to reach him? Or maybe you did that to somebody else. That's what Goliath is like. And then he's like going to crush the guy because he can't even get close to him. And David's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not playing that game. The scripture says that while David was running towards Goliath, that's when he slung the sling. David was like, I'm not getting close to him. I'm not stupid. Goliath expected to fight somebody face to face within arm's reach. And David said, nope, changing the rules. Pretty smart guy. The third thing, the third thing that made David not the underdog was the fact that David had the spirit of the Lord. David had God on his side. And let's be honest, you don't need superior technology and you don't really need to even change the plan of attack if God is on your side. The Apostle Paul reminds us of this truth, that if God is for us, no one can stand against us. And David understood that. So he had God on his side. The question is for you and I, if we have God on our side, why do we ever think that we're the underdog? Why do we ever go into a situation thinking this isn't going to work out and yet we know God is on our side? David had that kind of faith and that's what made him not the underdog. The second observation that's going to turn this story on its head a little bit is this, is that giants are not always as they seem. Giants are not always as they seem. When you look at the story in 1 Samuel 17, one of the interesting observations about Goliath is that he's led down to the valley by an attendant every single day. Now, don't you think that the champion of the world, like the, this greatest, most physical specimen, this guy who's getting ready to fight on behalf of an entire nation, would be skilled enough to walk on his own? But no, he has someone who walks and holds his hand down into the midst of the valley. You see, he had an attendant that went with him. Big bad Leroy Brown never had anybody lead him into a fight. But Goliath did. There's something about this giant that we're not fully understanding. The second thing that giants aren't always what they seem is that Goliath moved slowly. He moved slowly. There's a few reasons for this. One is the topography. We see that he has to be led down, so it's a, it's a mountainous thing. They're on one peak and the Israelites on the other, and they come down to the valley every day. So he's not able to move really fast because of the terrain. But beyond that, 
you also have to consider the size of the armor. When you go through and you think about the weight and the gold and the size of everything that he's wearing, he wasn't able to move very quickly. But the third reason that he's not able to move very fast and the reason that he did move slowly was he probably had um, a, a pituitary condition that resulted in his size. I mean, the scripture records that he was nine feet tall, okay? Nine feet. He would probably be in the NBA if he were nine feet tall. Now, he might be as effective as Roy Hibbert versus the Heat, but anyway, <laughs> he would be about nine feet tall and be um, just a huge, he'd be a giant. That's why we call him a giant. He probably had a pituitary condition that drove him to be that high. Now, statistically speaking, people that have that type of unusual and an anomaly growth also are challenged physically. Not that they're not able to get around, but it takes more effort and energy because the body just isn't designed to handle that kind of size. And so because of this condition, he was probably not able to move very quickly. But if you got close enough and you got hand-to-hand, boy, it was all over. The third thing about giants, that they aren't always what they seem when we look at Goliath, is the fact that Goliath probably couldn't see very well. He probably couldn't see very well. You say, how do you get that? Well, there's two things. The first thing is this, is understand that in verse 43, when David is approaching Goliath, Goliath yells out, why are you sending this guy out to me with a bunch of sticks in his hand? The original language uses the plural sticks. David as a shepherd wouldn't have had but one stick, a shepherd's staff. Yet Goliath saw multiples. That means he probably had blurred or double vision. Going back to his pituitary condition, it's not unusual for a tumor to, to, to rest on the optic nerve, enabling him to see poorly. So Goliath probably didn't see very well. So let's put all this together. David grabs his smooth stone and places it in his sling. He gets going, he gets fired up, he's got it ready to go. He's moving and moving and he's running. He's deadly accurate. And he launches a rock 80 miles an hour from 100 feet away that strikes Goliath in less than a second and he never saw it coming. Now it makes a little more sense. How did this little shepherd really take out this huge giant? You see, David wasn't ever really the underdog and the giant just wasn't quite what he seemed to be. So for us, Understand this, we face giants in our lives, but the reality is this, the giants in life are not nearly as insurmountable, depressing, and overwhelming as they first appear. We all face giants in our lives. Probably very few of us face a nine-foot Goliath that wants to kill us in combat, but we all face giants, and we often get discouraged and upset about them. We, we get afraid of them because we look at them and we think there's no way we can overcome them. We become overwhelmed because we're focused on the giant. But the reality is, is the giant's not as big of a deal as we first think. And today I want us to focus on that part of the story, the giants in David's life. Because while Goliath was a physical giant, there were other giants that David had to face. What were some of these giants? The first giant that David had to face in his life was the giant of delay. The giant of delay. You see, if you turn in the scripture to, to chapter 16, one, one chapter before, David had been pronounced the king of Israel. 
Samuel had come out and anointed him and had said, David, you are now the king. And if you go and read the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 17, David's father, Jesse, had placed David out in the fields, put him back working with the sheep. So this is David's dream. Dad, dad, guess what? I'm going to be the king of Israel. That's great, son. Go clean up after the sheep. Wait a minute, dad. Did you, did you not hear? I'm going to be the king, right? Like, you know, the who, who, the king. The absolute top guy in the land. That's good. Okay, um, so who's watching the sheep right now? Because that's your job. He had to experience delay in his life. Let me tell you this. There will always be people who try to hold you back from accomplishing your dream. There will always be people who are trying to delay what you believe God has for your life. There will always be people who place barriers and obstacles and hoops you have to jump through. The question is this, is God's got a plan for your life, but everybody else does too. Whose plan is going to win out? The second giant that he had to defeat was this, the giant of discouragement. The giant of discouragement. The passage of Scripture there on your outline talks about the fact that every time Goliath would come out, they would be paralyzed with fear. The fear, and the, 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 the fear of the unknown and the fear of the giant would keep them from action. Sometimes in our lives, when we're faced with our dreams, something comes along that makes us so terrified, we refuse to move. We know that the only way we can do this is going through Goliath. The only way we can accomplish this is going through that giant. But we're just afraid. I, I don't know what's going to happen. What if I step out? What, I'm not going to have this. I'm not going to have that. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to no more income. I'm not going to do this. What am I going to do? David just had to push right through it. There will always be circumstances that paralyze us. Too many times we do nothing because we're too afraid. Who are we listening to? Are we listening to God that's called us to this dream? Are we listening to everybody else who says, that's a bad idea because of this and that and this and that? The next giant in David's life that he had to overcome and defeat was the giant of disapproval. The giant of disapproval. In this passage of Scripture on your notes there in 1 Samuel 17, you see where the brother goes to David and he basically says, look, you know, I know why you're here. You're an arrogant little punk. Yeah, this guy came along, spilled some oil on your head, said you were going to be the king. You're here to try to assert yourself. And you've got impure motives and you're a conceited little brat. I know why you're here. In your life, there will always be critics who question your motives. There will always be people, when you begin to share your dream, they're going to think, you're gunning for my job, aren't you? There's going to be people who say, you want me out of here, don't you? There's always going to be critics and people who disapprove of what you're trying to do. They're always going to look negatively on you, and they're always going to question you. Remember this, the approval of God is far more important than the approval of people. Are we doing what God would have us to do? The fourth giant is the giant of doubt. The giant of doubt. And that passage of Scripture on your notes there. When David went to Saul, Saul basically said, look, you can't do this. You're, you're, you're a little, you're you. I mean, what are you going to do? And now look at this guy. It's not going to happen. There will always be people who doubt you when you pursue your dreams. And sometimes the people who doubt you the most are yourselves. 
There will always be people who say, I just don't think you're the right guy for it. I just don't think you've got the right skill set for it. I just don't think you're the right, I'm just not sure. And even when you're pursuing it, there's going to be times in your life when you think, I'm just not sure I'm the right person for this. God, you sure you got the right, I mean, maybe you got the numbers backwards when you called. I'm not real sure what's going on. There will always be doubters, and sometimes we're the biggest ones. But we have to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 19 when he says, With God, all things are possible. Going back to what David understood when he faced Goliath. So when we figure out what the dream that God has for us is, and when we figure out what the giants are, and we're faced with these giants, we now have to think about, okay, that's great. We know what the giant is. It's easy. He walks down the middle of the valley every day for 40 days. He calls me out. He questions me and my ability to fight against him. Yeah, so now what? What do I do? Thanks, Brent. Thanks for pointing out all the giants in my life. What do I do now? Well, that's the next question is, is how do we defeat these giants? How do we take them out? Let's look at David and and follow the example that he left for us. The first thing we need to do is this, is, is we need to remember how God has helped us in the past. Remember how God has helped me in the past. God loves you the same today that he did yesterday that he did the last time he bailed you out and led you through. God doesn't love you any less. He's going to pull you through today just like he has before. And that's what David said. David said, look, God has delivered lions and God has delivered me from doing all these things. God has been on my side in the past. Guess what? He's still on my side. I'm not worried about it. The first thing we need to do is to remember how God has helped us in the past. The second thing is, is we need to use the tools that God has given us now. We need to use the tools that God has given us now. You see, David didn't want the sword and the, and the armor and all that of Saul. He said, man, just give me a sling and let me go pick out some rocks. Those are my tools. That's what I know how to use. That's my background. This is what I've come from. This is what I know to do. You see, whatever dream God has given you, he's given you the tools to accomplish it. You say, well, that didn't make any sense. I know it doesn't, but that's how God usually works. He's given you the tools. And look at that last word. He's given you the tools now. If you wait for the right conditions, the conditions will never be right. Do something now. He's given you the tools. What is the sling? What are the rocks in your life to accomplish the dream that God has for you? The next thing, the third thing, as it relates to how to defeat the giants in our life, we need to ignore the dream busters. We need to ignore the dream busters. How many people told David, look, just keep your mouth shut and leave us alone. David, you can't do this. Look at how big he is. David, you need to do this. David, you need to do that. David, you can't do this. David, the, Dave, 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 Dave. Eventually, he just got to a point where he's like, enough of all this. In another passage of Scripture, in 1 Samuel 30, guys are telling him to give up his pursuit for the king and give up his pursuit for the throne and give up. And it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. In 1 Samuel Chapter 30 and verse 6. David found his courage. David found his strength in God. He didn't listen to anybody else. He listened to God. This isn't just positive thinking. This isn't just, I'm going to have a better attitude. This is the reality of my bedrock foundation of everything I know, have, and am is in God. And my dream is found in Him. And the last thing that we need to do to defeat the giants in our life. The last thing is this. Expect God 
to help me for His glory. Expect God to help me for His glory. You see, when you read the story of David and Goliath, he doesn't go down, he doesn't walk into the valley, stop and pick up a rock and go, I'm not real sure this is going to work out. I hope it does. He doesn't step over and pick up the second rock and think, all right, I'm really rolling the dice on this. This may be a bad idea. He doesn't look down at Goliath in the valley and think, man, he's a lot bigger the closer I get. Not sure that I should have done this. Is it too late to back out? No. David runs toward Goliath, and he knew, and he told Goliath, look, God's about to put you in my hand today. God is about to deliver you over. You see, here's the thing, is if David misses, and David keeps running, at some point he's going to run into Goliath, and it's all over. But he expected God. He had faith in God. It wasn't a mere think. It wasn't simple hope. It was a faith. He knew that that which he could not see would be seen. He didn't know exactly what was going to happen, but he knew that Goliath was done. You wonder if he thought he was actually going to kill him with the sling or just knock him down so then he'd get able close enough to then get in combat with him and have him disoriented. He didn't know. He just knew that the end result was Goliath would be handed over in defeat to David. Expect God to give help for His glory. You see, when we face our giants, and there are giants, and when we go after the dream in our career and the dream in our life and the vocation that God's called us to and fulfilling that dream, we want to go through this whole series of transformed, not, not thinking about the patterns of the world and, and the thoughts of the world and the world says it should be like this and the world says do this, but we want to transform the way we think and we want to look at it differently. We want to look at the way God does and see what His Word has to say. And we look at David as an example. Then we see that there was a dream put in his heart and his mind to be king. And that God had ordained that for him. But he had to overcome giants to make it a reality. You see, the story continues beyond Goliath. He still didn't become king the next day, but had another hard season of facing multiple giants. As you think about the, 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 the dreams in your life, there's one main thing as you think about them differently I want you to walk away with today is this. You are not the underdog. You are not the underdog. The giants in your life are not that great. They're not that big. And you are not the underdog. Michael Millington is our technical director here at PBCC. He does an amazing job. You know, all the lights and everything. And yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. His nickname is Big D, and so we love Mike. It's Mike Millington, but his name is Big D. I don't know where that comes. Anyway, but Mike has a shirt. And um, can you stand up, Mike? Are you up there? Yeah, everybody's looking at you. You can't see his shirt, but he's got an underdog shirt on. And, and I asked him to wear that shirt specifically for today. Because, you know, you remember the cartoon of underdog and the, do the little cartoon and all that and everything. He's got a shirt on about, it's, it's underdog. And I asked him to wear that shirt because I, I wanted you to think through what an underdog is and what an underdog looks like. But when an underdog becomes a superhero, how it's all turned upside down. You see, we are not the underdog because we have God on our side. And whatever giants you're facing in your life, you can turn that into something amazing for his glory. Giants aren't what they seem, and we are not the underdog. The question that we have to answer is this. 
What is God's dream for your life? What is God's dream for your life? So what I want to, what I want to do for the next hour is to help you discover what God's dream for your life is. I'm just kidding. It'd only be about 35 minutes. No, that, that's a different thing for a different time. But you can ask, and I bet he'll tell you. You can ask, and I bet he'll lead you to something. He'll show you. Man, he's just dying to unleash you for his glory. To be able to say, this is my dream for you. This is what I have for you. You're going to face giants. It's not going to be easy. But now you know how to knock the giants out. And they really aren't that big after all. Today as we close, you might be here today, and I want to challenge you with this thought. The greatest giant in your life is a giant that you cannot defeat. You see, we were born in a, in a spiritual condition that the Bible calls sin. And because of a decision made a long, long time ago, we're all born in this condition. And we deserve death. And that's the biggest giant of all, death. How can we possibly overcome the finality of death apart from someone else doing something on our behalf. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Because of what Jesus did, He was the Son of God, is the Son of God, was born of a virgin, lived a certain sinless life, was handed over to be crucified. He was placed on a cross and put in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, rose again. That's why we have Easter. But remember, Easter changes everything. It even allows us to overcome the giant of death in our lives. Because the scriptures teach us, Paul teaches us that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, then we can be saved. And Jesus himself said, whoever believes in me will not die, but will have eternal life. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, today I challenge you to do that. I challenge you to think through the reality of your need for a savior because death is a giant you cannot be apart from Christ. But with Christ, you could have life everlasting. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray to close out our time? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never asked Christ to come into your life, if you've never placed your faith in Him for salvation, I invite you just now in the quietness of this moment to admit your need of a Savior, acknowledge the fact that you are indeed a person with sin, Admit that Christ is who He says He is and that He died for you. And believe and call upon His name. And you can be saved. For others who are here today, today's a day where you get an opportunity to pursue the dream that God has for you. To be able to choose to defeat the giants that are before you. Let's ask God to help. Heavenly Father, God, help us to Pursue the dream you have for our careers, for our jobs, for our lives. God, help us to defeat the giants. And Lord, may our focus be on the outcome and the end and not on the, the journey and the giant. Lord, guide our steps and our minds and our hearts. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.